Our reading this morning is taken from uh, John chapter 6, starting at verse 5, which you'll find uh, on page 1069 of your Pew Bibles. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to the disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. This is the word of the Lord. So the story of the feeding of the 5,000, probably one of the most well-known passages uh, in the Bible. And um, we've probably heard it as children, we've probably seen it acted out, and we've uh, wondered what it would have been like to have been there at the side of the lake with nothing to eat and watching what happened, that little boy who came forward with all that he had, his lunch, um, five loaves and two fish, and the miraculous way in which Jesus took that and made enough for all with more left over at the end. As Kia said, this is the end of our series on being generous, and we've been thinking about how God is a generous God, how we see that generosity lived out through the life of Jesus. And what we can learn, if we want to live as Jesus, how we live as generous people. And being generous can be seen in so many different ways. And we've probably kept the hardest one for last. This is about being generous with our possessions. Because it raises for us lots of questions. And it sometimes comes to the heart of of where we have our safety, our security and a willingness to let go of some of that. When the little boy brought forward his meagre lunch, Jesus was able to do something so much more than that boy could have done himself. And that's something we see time and time again in Scripture, that if we come and give back to God, give back to Jesus, something amazing can happen with that. When we think about how on earth do we be generous with what we have, what we own, what we possess, 
that whole question raises risks for us. I want us to think about the little boy and the risks that he faced in this episode. There were two risks. One was giving away and one was not giving away. Quite simple. So what was the risk in giving away what he had? Well, the risk was that he was going to be really hungry. He had enough to eat for himself. And by giving it to Jesus, he ran the risk of it being spread out so thinly that he'd either get such a tiny crumb or nothing at all that he would be hungry. And that was a genuine risk. He didn't know what Jesus was going to do. We've heard this story so many times, we know what happens. But when he gave what he had, he had no idea what Jesus was going to do. And he ran the risk of being hungry. And for a little boy to be hungry is quite a big risk. I have two big boys. And they don't like being hungry. So for a little boy to give over all that he had for his lunch was really risky. But there was a risk in the other way. There was a risk that if he hadn't given over what he had, he would have missed out on being part of this amazing miracle that Jesus was going to do. The risk of not giving what he had was not seeing what was possible with Jesus and not being part of that. Imagine how that little boy must have felt as he sat there watching what happened. Jesus took the food, he gave thanks to God and miraculously there was enough for 5,000 plus all their add-ons and baskets left over at the end. He must have thought, all I had was two fish and five pieces of bread and look what has happened. He was part of God's work. And the risk of not being generous with our possessions is that we can miss out on being part of God's work. And that's a challenge. That is such a challenge. Risks on both sides. Where do we go? The risk of being generous and running the risk of not having enough for ourselves compared to not being generous, not giving away and missing out on what Jesus might do with what we have. Where do we go? And I think every one of us as Christians faces that time and time again if we want to ponder this. If we really want to be serious about being generous, and this is something that's going to challenge us a lot of the time. We can't ignore it because we make choices every day with what we have. What do we have in this Western world? What do we have in Surrey, in our communities? We have money We have homes, we have cars, we have all the things inside our house, our tools, our appliances, our clothes. We have food, we have the ability to prepare meals. We have so much. And this calling to be generous with what we have is hugely challenging. What does it mean for us to be generous with our possessions? How do we share what we have? What might Jesus do if we share what we have? Who do we help? When you've seen so many things on television with demands on our money or you get so many letters through the post, who on earth do you help? Because they're all worthy causes. How do we help? Is this the best way of helping? When we see somebody begging in the street, what is the best way of responding to that? These are all questions we know, we wrestle with, we deal with in this question for us about what does it mean to live generous lives and sharing the possessions that we have. 
And they are really, really hard questions. But they sit within the context of a God who has given us everything. Everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the greatness, the majesty, and the splendor. If we believe that we are nothing without God, then everything we have comes from God. And of your own do we give back to you. That is what it says in Chronicles. In the Old Testament, there was a real um, tradition of giving back to God. Of the Jewish people realizing that without God, they had nothing. And when they got the harvest in at harvest time, the first tenth would be put aside for God's purposes. That might have been feeding the poor. It might have been in store for another year. How it was used was really not the matter of the people who gave it. But the principle was you gave the first tenth of what you had. And that was a principle that carried on throughout the Old Testament. It's called tithing. And you might have heard of tithe barns in England where the same principle happened in medieval times. The harvest was brought in and the first tenth of the harvest was put into storage to be there as a resource for sharing, to give that first back because we have been so blessed with what we have been given. And that whole sense of tithing is a word that we often use in church. Giving 10% of what we have away And it can help us, it can be a little bit problematic as well, because what does 10% of my possessions mean? Is it my money after I've been taxed, after I've paid my mortgage? We can wrestle with all these questions. But there is a Christian principle of tithing. And whether it's 10% or whether it's a a different amount, at the root of that, what we say is that we recognise that God is generous and has allowed us to have what we have. And in response to God... And in response to knowing that we are so blessed, we want to give back. And a principle of tithing is a good principle to have, to understand that as Christians who want to be generous, we want to give back. And that helps us along that way. It doesn't take away the questions, because where do we give that money? Do we give it all to the church? Do we give it to charities? Do we split it? Do we give none to the church? All sorts of questions. That if we're part of this church family, I hope we're wrestling with some of these questions. But how do we share our possessions? I might think I've done my job by working out my tithe, sorting out my giving, making sure it comes out at the beginning of the month rather than at the end of the month. Because if I wait till the end of the month, there might not be much left. All strong principles that I can live my life by, but I still have questions. How do I share what I have? What's the point of everybody having hedge trimmers if we could share them? Why do we have to always have the next best phone? I don't have such a problem with that as my boys do. But the questions that we tussle with day after day, because we have much, we have more choices in life. And I can become complacent. I can think, well, I've sorted out my giving, so therefore I can do whatever I like with whatever else is left. But I'm not sure that's what God is saying. I think what God is saying, be generous with what you have. Be generous with your home. Be generous with your food. A neighbour might be really ill. And taking in a meal is offering generosity. Giving of what we have so that somebody else can be blessed. 
giving that extra when a charity call comes in. I'm actually saying, well, I have tithed, but actually there's this particular thing going on where there's a cyclone in Mozambique and I want to respond because of my love for those people. And that's in addition to what I've already planned. So many opportunities, but so many questions. And one of the the big questions is, what do we give to church? We don't like talking about this in church. But what we have as money to spend within the life of our church only comes from us. Churches are not funded by the government, nor are they funded by the Church of England. So what we have to look after our building, to be warm, to be comfortable, to keep it up to date, to pay for staff, to have resource for ministry, all comes from us. And one of the questions we should be asking, probably annually, is what do we believe God is calling us to do? What does that cost and how do I respond to that? And annually looking at what we're giving to the church and thinking about, is that the right amount this year? Some years it might have to be less. Some years it should be more. Sometimes it will be more sacrificial than other times because there's a real need and we want to do something specific that we feel God is calling us to do. There's an advert on at the moment. Um, It's a bank. I think it's Lloyd's Bank. But they're talking about how we never speak about money. And they're encouraging um, advisors to talk to families, to talk to couples about their views and attitudes on money. We don't talk about money. And that's one of the problems in the church. We're not up front and say, look, this is what we need to talk about. But we are all responsible for our budget, just as much as in a family we're responsible for the budget together. And thinking through regularly, how do I individually respond to the work of God is really vital. So if you've never thought about that, could I encourage you to think about it? If you've thought about it and thought, well, I set it up 20 years ago and and it's never really changed, revisit that decision. Look at what you're giving to the life of the church. If you want to talk to Charlie, who's now our treasurer, he can help you in tax-efficient ways to give generously to the life of the church. We don't talk about this very often, and I apologise if I haven't spoken about this enough, because we want this to be natural and instinctive, and as a gift, responding to who God is and what he has done for us. But I want to move on a little bit and think about how we create that culture of generosity. I'm going to come back to questions for churches. But to begin with, I want to think about that whole sense of creating a culture of generosity. Because whether we're giving to the church or whether we're living lives that are generous, it's about a culture. And the more we develop a culture, the more instinctive it becomes to live generously. There's an organization called Stewardship, and for the last 10 years or so, they've been running something called 40 Acts during Lent. And rather than giving something up, they encourage people to take on being generous during Lent. And you can sign up and get a a task each day of Lent suggesting that you do something that displays generosity. You can do it in schools. Some schools have been doing 40 acts. Um, Boundary of Ben's here has been busy with his stuff. Ben, were you doing 40 acts in your class at school? No. No, it must have been year two. Was it your year? No, or year three. Yeah, there was a, there's been a class at Wanish and Shamley Green School that's been in 40 acts and they've loved it. 
They've really loved it. Every day there's been something to think about. Talk to somebody in the playground that you've not spoken to before. Find somebody who's lonely and ask them to be your friend. Really lovely things. And and as a class, they've loved doing it because the head teacher was telling me this the other day. You can do this in families. If we begin young in creating a culture of generosity, of thinking strategically, of thinking instinctively about reaching out, it's a fantastic way. I want to watch a film. This is a family called the March Family. And they took this task on during Lent a few years ago. And this is how they found it. Thank you. Our family did 40 acts and our family was generous. We wanted something that our kids could be part of and we wanted to make the Lent period a more special time for us. We liked the idea of having something that the children could do that was about giving and taking something up, like the challenges that came along, rather than something that they'd kind of, they would have to kind of give up or stay away from. The giving jar definitely was the, the most popular one. The kids were really able to be part of that, even though they had you know, very small amounts of money. They find a penny on the ground, and they put it in their pocket and bring it home and put it in the jar. And then they decided together to give it to a friend of ours who runs a charity in Uganda. And they counted it all out, and giving it to her was a really, really special, exciting time for all of us. I enjoy people being grateful when I give them something because they always say thank you to me whenever I make something. Yeah, I think as parents, um, you're always trying to engage with your children um, at a spiritual level as well. And I think we found that what 40X did was, was a great tool to, to begin the conversation with them at a much deeper level than, than you would do necessarily over, over a meal time or whenever, whenever you use it. And so we found it fantastic in that way. Particularly because it brought the spiritual concepts and, of you know, giving and neighborliness and all and generosity and it made it practical. So this is what you, my four-year-old son, can do today to be generous, which is really great. I think the main thing was that they were quite happy to be generous with things that they didn't love or find quite precious. And uh, we, we were talking about what toys we might give away. And Ace just said, um, not the Spider-Man car, not the Spider-Man car. So that sort of thing, I think, was, was the hardest learning about being precious, being generous even when it hurts a little bit or it's costly. Okay, so, which toys shall we give away? Which toys? Okay. Yeah, we would definitely recommend 40X to other people, um, other families particularly, and particularly because you can engage with it as much or as little as you want, depending on the size of your family, depending on how old they are. So this is kind of the perfect tool and we definitely encourage our friends and we had other friends that joined us in that as we did the giving ourselves. Be very practical and choose to be more generous in different ways and there's loads of tools to help us with that. The tool doesn't matter. It's about creating a culture of generosity. How do we as a church create that place where we are instinctively and naturally generous and willing to give away, to give away of what we have 
so that others can benefit from it. What does that mean to create that culture in our families, in our homes, that day to day, it just becomes natural to give away? Because that's when it gets easier, when it just becomes part of who we are and what we do. We just instinctively give out of our possessions, our time, our money, our compassion, all the things we've been speaking about over the last few weeks. I long for us to develop that culture where we're just naturally and instinctively generous. So so tools like 40 Acts are really good. And if you haven't done that this Lent, they run it through Advent, they can do it again next Lent. You could download it and do it for 40 days after Easter. There's no reason why it has to be in Lent. But I realise that even just getting that email in and prompting me to think, oh my goodness, yes, that's a way I could be generous. It's a bit of a discipline. We have to start with a discipline before it becomes a habit. How do we develop our habits of generosity? But as we do that, as we become a place that's naturally and instinctively generous, we do have some hard questions to ask. And as a church family, I think we should be asking. And one of the hardest questions for us is how much do we give away of what we receive? And we have always, or for a very long time, for a number of years, of what we receive here as a church, we give away 10% to our mission partners. And that's a really straightforward thing to do. At PCC, we've had some quite long discussions about is 10% the right amount? Should it be more? And of course, the 10% is impacted by how much the total giving is. Because 10% of a small amount of giving will be less than 10% of a large amount of giving. But is it right that we give 10% away? Should it be more? That's our starting point. We also respond at various points through the year when a mission partner visits, when someone's involved in doing a a sleep out or whatever, and we respond in that way as well. And that's, again, really important. But sometimes there are risks, risks in a church to give away more than they're comfortable with. And that can be a real challenge. I've got another film. And this struck a a bond with me, because this is a lady called Jean um, in Scotland. And she speaks about the jumble sale. And when I was a little girl growing up, my father was ordained. And he really struggled with churches that relied on jumble sales for their giving. And we always had one, and he was always battling, saying, you know, we shouldn't rely on jumble sales for what we need to live as a church. And this is a story of um, of a church that struggled with this very same thing. So let's watch and see what happened to them and the risks that they had to take. So this is Jean. Thank you. Every year the church would have their jumble sale, a huge event for the church because all age groups were involved, from the youngest children through to brownies, guides, boys' brigade, older people, very, very elderly people. It was a massive event and a huge fellowship event of people gathering together for this jumble sale. And it also became a general big village event where everyone looked forward to it year by year. It was quite important that the funds raised from the church, or had been considered by all the people, that it was really important that this money should be raised to make sure that there was always enough. We came to rely on that money, although we enjoyed the event too, but it was also something that was felt to be extremely important that that should be there to cover anything that would be unseen or untoward. A new young minister straight from university um, and of course part of meetings with the leaders in the church 
and hearing about all the different events that happen. And of course, at one of the main meetings, he talked about the jumble sale. Oh, I hear you have the jumble sale. And everyone said, oh yes, it's really important to the church. It's a great fellowship event for the whole village. And we really need to have this money to pay um, various debts that occur in the year. And he said, hmm, that sounds amazing, but mm, I don't know that I'm happy with this jumble sale. And of course, there was no outright screaming opposition, but you could sense that many, many people were a bit confused about this, but we have to have it. This is what we always do, and it's very helpful. He said, well, I am happy about the jumble sale, but I want to give the money away. I was quite stunned. At the time, I suppose I hadn't really thought through very much the whole situation, but I thought, could this really work? Where on earth is the money going to come from? Um, what if there is a big event and the church needs... I suppose I had get into the way of thinking that we really need this too. Amazingly, the money was just given away. So at that time, several thousand pounds, which uh, 25 years ago, to maybe make three or four thousand pounds from a jumble sale seemed a lot of money. And to give it away to Christian charities, Christian events, youth work, mission events, um, people just thought, hmm. But bit by bit, it just seemed so amazing. More money kept coming in, in the offerings and various other places. I can't even see where the places were. I wasn't on uh, the leadership group at the time, but the money just kept coming. It was a real boost and a lift for my faith and I think lots of people's faith. So even though we learned that from 25 years ago, there are still the same lessons to be learned today when we're in that same place of wanting to hold on. We still have to let go, let God do it. It's amazing. There's times when we have to let go and let God do it. We started with a story of a little boy who brought what he had and God did something amazing with it. When a church sees God do something amazing, it really makes a huge difference. When we need to take a risk, or when we do take a risk, and we see God do something phenomenal with that, it builds faith and it builds community. Paul and I were really fortunate to be part of a church in Edinburgh before we were married and as we were married. And it was a new church, it was a church plant, and it didn't have much money at all. And uh, the building needed massive amount of work doing to it. And it was largely a student and young adult population who didn't have very much money. And the vicar there really believed that we needed to raise money, both for the building, but to match that with giving money away. And we had two gift days a year, one for ourselves and one to give away. And the giving away was a really risky thing because there was so much needed to be done. But we had half nights of prayer before the gift days. And, you know, we were there four or five years. And the amount that came in on each occasion was beyond our wildest dreams. If you'd worked out what everybody could have afforded, this was far more than that. And seeing God do something amazing, I loved it. And you wanted to take the risk. You wanted to give more than you could afford. Because actually God honoured that and did something amazing with that. And when a church lives on the edge like that, God can come in and do amazing things. 
Now, the odds are quite high because actually we're very, very comfortable here. And what is God saying? Is he saying, give more away? Don't have enough for the salary bills and trust and see what happens. I don't know what he is saying. But what I do know God is saying is that I am a generous God. And who I am in my very DNA is to pour out everything. Jesus poured out everything. And we'll be following his journey that led him to the cross. So much did he pour out. And we are his disciples, we are his followers. We are learning to be like him. And part of that journey is for us not to hold hands like this, but to hold hands like that. To be sensible and to use common sense. But to be willing to let go and to release so that God can do amazing things. That might be us giving more to Viva in Africa where they can see more girls coming to education who wouldn't otherwise be educated. It might be giving away to other churches who are relying on jumble sales because they haven't got enough. I don't know. I don't know. The tools don't matter. The culture is what matters. Are we a church that says we long to be generous in what we give, in what we give as individuals to wherever that is, in how we live instinctively with our homes, with our possessions, with our cars, with our money, and then as a church family? What is God asking of us to live generously. Do come and talk to me if there's anything you want to talk about. Do get in touch with Charlie if you want to revisit your giving to the church, but pray. Pray and ask God, what are you asking of me? What are you saying to me today? Spring is a good time to review our lifestyles. Heading up to Easter, wouldn't that be wonderful to think we've done a little bit of a spring clean of our lives and on Easter day, Part of our commitment might be, this is what I'm going to do as a result of all that we have heard over Lent. Amen.